Welcome to Kernels of Truth, brought to you by Progress Kentucky. And that music comes from Nate. And frankly, that should be a top 10 by the end of the year. I'm going to make that happen if I can. Brought to you by Progress Kentucky. This week, we'll cover Kentucky's breaking political news, big win for the gays, big news about campaign contributions in the governor's race, and big news about broadband. Then we're excited to interview the Reverend Dr. Leah Shada, a Lexington-based theologian and pastor who has been educating the public about the growing threat of Christian nationalism. So we'll hear about this movement challenging the separation of church and state, things we've seen in Kentucky in the last month, and what folks committed to maintaining that wall should be doing. Then we'll close out with a critical call to action. But first, are you ready? to help turn Kentucky purple. We know our state is deeply red, Kool-Aid red, with a GOP supermajority committed to moving us backwards on LGBTQ plus rights, on BIPOC visibility, on women's rights, weakening the ability of unions to collectively organize for better pay and better working conditions and critically important elections coming to voters across our state in November. If you want a Commonwealth that works for all of us, join Progress Kentucky and support our campaign and turn our Commonwealth purple. Make a donation at our Secure Act Blue website and spread the word that we are tired of the GOP ignoring the needs of regular folks in Kentucky like me and you. And we think our Commonwealth is worth fighting for. So, It is now time to check in with our co-hosts. Let us all know who and where you are and what does your protest sign say today? Oh, and you there, right there on the internet, we mean you too. I want to read what your sign says. Put it in the chat while we're sharing ours. Mine says, forgive me, but give them hell. Uh, Aaron, what does your sign say? Uh, hey, Willie. So let's see. Thanks. Thanks for opening the show. We appreciate that. Love um, it. Changing uh, the roles up a little bit. We've got Annabelle and Nate out. So I have to produce uh, and I'm not nearly as good at it as Nate and Annabelle. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a little clunkier, uh, but I certainly couldn't host and produce. So I appreciate you standing, uh, stepping in. And uh, let's see, my sign today, if, what am I protesting? You know, given what we're going to talk about later on, uh, I think my sign would be the classic, Jesus, protect me from your followers. Uh, and uh, I'm Aaron, and I'm coming to you from Childsburg, uh, a lovely deed-restricted community uh, in Lexington. And Nima, what about your sign? Hey, guys, it's good to see you all tonight, and I thank God I'm not hosting. Um <laughs> My sign tonight obviously is going to be very newsworthy and it is the constitution is not a buffet. Mm. And when I say that, I mean, I think I tweeted this a little earlier. It seems to me like there's a lot of uh, electeds uh, in Frankfurt who just pick and choose whatever they think they, they can from the constitution. See a lot of support for two a all the time, but as we saw the 14th amendment also uh, has meaning, and we will talk about that um, with the SB 150 stuff that just hit, I believe, today, Willie. But that is my sign. Yeah, you know, that First Amendment also matters. How can we somehow That's- make guns free speech so that they care about it? That's my, that, you know, if we can do that, we're, we're right. in it to win yeah. it. Absolutely. Aaron, any ideas for how to make guns free speech? 
<laughs> um, I I really don't. But I, I think constitutional <laughs> scholars do need to work on that. We need to figure that out. Oh, Jesus. Um, we we, <laughs> we uh, clearly have some work to do on that front. But, you know, courts, courts have been useful recently. Uh, but then you look at the Supreme Court and you're like, well, <laughs> clearly it's not a, that's not the backstop that it maybe once was. So. This feels like a, I'm going to stab your mom, but then make breakfast for you every day. <laughs> like maybe you'll forget that I stabbed your mom. And I'm like, I'm not going to forget that Supreme Court. Thank you very much. But <laughs> yeah, there have been some, some good cases lately. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. All right. So uh, first story. <laughs> Yay for the gays. We won temporarily due to an injunction. Um, so the first story of the night, uh, y'all might know that LGBTQ youth rights are my jam. They are my reason for getting up. They're the reason I throw rocks every single day. And so here is some great news on that front. Federal Judge David Hale, just like an hour and a half ago, said that he sided with the ACLU of Kentucky, which means that he is going to temporarily block part of Senate Bill 150. And you might remember that Senate Bill 150 bans gender-affirming health care for some transgender minors. And what I love are how promising and hopeful his words are. He had this to say, and I'll cite him directly. Based on the evidence submitted, the court finds that the treatments barred by Senate Bill 150 are medically appropriate and necessary for some transgender children under the evidence-based standard of care accepted by all major medical organizations in the United States. And when he says all major medical, here are the organizations that believe we should be giving care to these children. American Medical Association, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Counseling Association, the American Public Health Association, the American Psychological Association. We can argue about some nuance about how and when to give that treatment, but all of them say that it is medically necessary and can be life or death. Uh, Judge Hale had this to say. These drugs have a long history of safe use in minors for various conditions. It is undisputed that puberty blockers and hormones are not given to pre-pubescent uh, children with gender dysphoria. Um, so what this basically means is, one, the judge is acknowledging that the biggest tactic and the tactics that you all are probably seeing in ads right now, Andy Bashir wants to murder. Um, those aren't really happening. Um, we don't actually give these drugs to children who haven't hit puberty. Um, uh, it does mean that these drugs in rare cases are given to some uh, trans youth who are post-pubescent as life-saving mechanism. And they find, Judge Hell finds that the likelihood that they're going to win this case is so great um, that he's gone ahead and given the injunction so that these kids can get access to life-saving measures. Uh Anybody want to chime in and make some noise of happiness before we get to the second story? I mean, I think it's great. Um, I think it, it's long overdue. God bless uh, these parents and their children for uh, doing this lawsuit because stepping out and stepping forward is not easy. And mm -hmm. so um, thank, you know, I want to thank them on behalf of all Kentucky parents uh, because, you know, really they're putting themselves out there um, yeah. to, not only protect their children, but also to protect anybody else's child. And, you know, that is a huge, huge thing. And the other thing that I want to say is, is that it's funny to me, Willie and Aaron, that parent rights only extend to certain parents. And um, I had just seen on the old tweet, tweet box uh, right before I came on 
that, you know, people are like, thank you for protecting, you know, thank you, Daniel Cameron, for for protecting these kids from their parents who want, do want to do them harm. I mean, I called this about three months ago or during the whole stuff with uh, when we, we were in session that ultimately this is a certain group of people who think that you suck as a parent mm -hmm. and that you're making crap decisions as a parent. And because of that, they need to step in. I mean, they're yeah. really calling parents, compassionate parents who just want to love their kids and help their kids. They're really calling them, you know, shit mm -hmm. parents. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's it's wrong. It's gross. And so hooray for these parents for taking the step to protect all kids um, who need this type of care. Yeah. You know, I think of how, what these parents are risking or non-parents who are stepping up for the people, the, the sort of things that they have to say. And what's particularly frustrating is, you know, it's, it's that buffet question again, right? They, they claim that they're for parents' rights until 71% of Kentucky parents say that they want this right. But uh, it doesn't matter that those parents' doctor say that they should have this right. It doesn't matter that science says they should have this right. It doesn't matter that decency and logic say that they should have this right. The pastors of the people who don't want them to have it, the 30% of Kentuckians, matter more than anyone else in this scenario. The will of the GOP matters more than the will of the parent or science or doctors. It's frustrating, not only because of the harm that it's doing, but it's frustrating because we see that the, the sort of appeals to logic are all pretense, right? Well, it was super exciting to just, you know, see that the judge wasn't, you know, some conservative ideologue, ideologue mm -hmm. hack, right? You know, it was actually applying, oh, I'm going to read, you know, these briefings and see that, oh, yeah, it's clearly medically uh, the, the, the preferred course of action to have these tools at uh, the doctor's disposal and that, you know, the political system interjecting to get in the way of those, uh, those treatments, you know, is, is a bad idea. You know, I think a lot of this, you know, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of, you know, people don't know a lot of trans people. Right. So I think the Republicans have been able to use this issue as, cause it's just scary and different. You know, and their base is like, yeah, I don't like this. We sh this is different, and I don't like different because you know yeah. uh, I've been in charge forever, and what this this is just different, and I don't want to like upset the balance of power, right? So you know, and I think we'll get at some of that later as well uh, with our guests. But yeah, you know, the idea that they've been able to kind of weaponize that fear and that discomfort, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know, so much like most things political, so much misinformation. Right. As you were uh, you know, talking about, you know, Willie, like who's getting puberty blocker blockers, who is getting hormone replacements? It's it's not like prepubescent kids, uh, you know, and the idea that there's gender reassignment surgery somewhere in the conversation. Like, well, no, if you're talking about minors, that's not part of the conversation. Right. Yeah. But they've been so willing to, like, put that scary idea out there. And everyone is like so obsessed with what's in somebody's pants, right? Like that, you know, and I think, I think it's maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's to our disservice that we've been kind of like so clinical in our descriptions. We should just say like, just so you know, like that is not on the table for minors. That's not going to be a thing. And people are like, oh, what, what are we talking about? You know, like they've been able to just use so much misinformation to scare people into, you know, the idea that things are happening yeah. that just aren't happening. Right. You know, because you think about it, like, oh, that does seem pretty significant that you're having gender reassignment surgery. And if a kid might change their mind or, you know, mm -hmm. like 
yeah, that seems like you've gone pretty far. Like, I think most rational and reasonable folks, in fact, that's why all doctors, you know, don't, this is not part of what's actually, the, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics is, is endorsing in terms of their, their treatments, right? So yeah. there's just been a lot of like garbage talk about it. Yeah. It hasn't gotten, you know, because people aren't, haven't been comfortable enough to ask real questions and they yeah. haven't gotten the information. But this, this judge like cut through all that and like, nope, I'm looking yeah. at it and I'm writing about what the actual, you know, treatments are and they seem medically necessary. And yeah. so, yeah. Well, so, yay, gays. Yay, gays. It, it's one more example that the, the pretense for something does not match the reality of something. Uh, for example, we still have not banned conversion therapy in Kentucky. It's banned in over 30 states. Um, we know for a fact what happens with conversion therapy, a 92% increase in suicidal ideation, an 88% increase in attempts if it happens. And yet we've refused to ban it because we're afraid of upsetting people. Um, so again, certain parents matter, others don't. Yet we're introducing this boogeyman, um, Florida. Florida has tried its best to find some example of surgery. Five million students, they found two, two who had ever had any sort of surgery. And we're talking about 17 year olds. Puberty blockers, it's one in 53,000 youth. Um, so how many high schools are you going to have to go to in Kentucky to find a single student who's going to have a puberty blocker? And again, puberty blockers block puberty from continuing so that students don't have to try to have surgery, right? The whole goal is to slow down the progression of things so that you have time to let the child think. That's my soapbox. Uh, and yeah. that is news item number one. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, let's go to uh, news item number two. Uh, so this story focuses on Attorney General and gubernatorial hopeful Daniel, nothing is sacred except my attempt to rise to power Cameron, who not only looks like he could be Ken's arch nemesis, from the Barbie franchise, but who is now actively acting like one. Uh, and this story is about campaign contributions. And ever since Citizens United, I feel like we have these all the time. Um, so this starts with a bit of irony. Just a few months ago, Daniel Cameron raked a judge over the coals because there was a lawyer who was presenting a case before the judge who had donated $250 to a campaign. And so the judge recused himself from this particular case and ultimately had some other issues because he liked an, uh, liked an Andy Bashir uh, post, but $250. All right. So the story comes out, Daniel Cameron actually didn't just take a large political contribution. He has been, his office has been actively investigating um, something called Edgewater Recovery since 2022. And the Office of Medicare Fraud and Abuse, which operates under Cameron, has been doing the bulk of this work. After they started investigating this company, Cameron actually calls and asks them to make a political donation. So, Picture it, the police come to your house or arresting you and say, hey, would you like to donate some money, right? Um, and to the tune of $6,900, he gets multiple donors from Edgewater, um, the owner of Edgewater, the general counsel of Edgewater, multiple directors at Edgewater. And what's interesting is this is the first time they have made this donation. So it's not as if we're looking at something that sort of always happened. This was a first. What I thought was particularly damning about this entire case outside of the timeline is what the lawyer for Edgewater had to say. These were his exact words when he was asked about this contribution. He says, I think Edgewater thought it was probably very prudent 
to make sure that they preserve their ability to work with whomever was successful in November to help further Edgewater's goals. When I read this, I actually had to reread it five times to think, am I reading what I think I'm reading? So we're not even pretending that businesses aren't buying politicians anymore. That's what these words say. We thought it was prudent uh, so that we could continue to work with whoever was successful, i.e., if we don't do this, then we won't be able to work with you, i.e., working with a political figure in the United States means giving them money so that they will work with you. Um, so, th but the, the bulk of this story sort of happens in terms of a timeline. So there was a records request about um, excessive campaign uh, contributions on May the 17th. Um, it is not until two days later that Daniel Cameron uh, recuses himself from this particular case and then returns the money. And then it takes a week for his office to actually give information to the people who were making this open records request, which means we we don't see any evidence that he had any intention of actually giving back this money or actually even pointing this out until someone forced him to. Um, and then it took a week for him to sort of communicate that. Uh, the last little bit of this that's uh, super ironic is how Andy Bashir handles this so very differently. Uh, Bashir's office was would never do anything so crass as to call someone they're investigating and ask them to give money. Um, but he did get $200,000 in contributions from diverse people, but it was from one credit card. Um, and immediately gave back the money uh, and refused to take it. Um, so, yeah, it's gross how money works in politics. And when we think about these kids, uh, it also makes me think, you know, what kind of money is shifting hands at what level? Um, who has a vested financial interest in this? Yeah, I completely agree, uh, Willie. It's it's gross. It's disturbing. Um, and, you know, it, it just it happens across. I mean, to me, it's almost like the it's a pay-to-play um, kind mm -hmm. of situation. And I, I think what bothers me the most is that, you know, I, I'm, I don't I, I know it's, we have a very low percentage of trans uh, kids in the state. Right. And I, I want so who is who is throwing in the cash to keep them protected? Because apparently that's what you have to have. Right. Yes. Like you were saying. So this is why we don't see a lot of uh, people. Uh, a lot of anything happening as far as let's talk about Eastern Kentucky for a second. You know, they don't have a lot of uh, political clout anymore, influence. And and only a few people have a ton of money, right, mm -hmm. that they can do these things for. So this is why, in my opinion, uh, there's not a whole lot being done for Eastern Kentucky at any time. There was just an ARC report that came out that was absolutely terrible. We're not getting better in the 606. We're getting worse. And and what we're doing is we're arguing about trans kids. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's almost criminal. But the system is set up to do exactly what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And it's been created to lock out regular folks to lock us out from the process, to lock us out from having a voice, to lock us out from having anything, you have to have cash. Hell, we had a woman that spent, I don't know how much, millions of dollars trying to get the governor's seat. It wasn't for her. Let's mm -hmm. be honest. Kelly Craft wanted it because Joe Craft probably wants to open some, you know, weirdo something, something coal mines. It's going to, you know, give us all black lung within six months. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter as long as they're getting paid. And hell, they live in Oklahoma anyway. So. Yeah. That is kind of what we're doing here. It's all about the money. 
this is why good people can't run for office, good regular people. Yeah. And the whole system is set up for the rich. And if, and if you're out there watching, I want you like think about that. Think about who they've been attacking for the last couple of years. Teachers and students who who has absolutely no money to fight for themselves. Children. That's I mean, that's why they're such an easy target. Um, and teachers, we all know what teachers are. Teachers are people who dedicate their entire life to children and forfeit any you know reality in which they're ever going to be super rich because they don't want the money more than they want to help, right? These are perfect targets and they're people who are never going to be able to fight back financially. And that's why they're the easiest target. And so whoever you are and whatever it is you want, whatever it is you think Kentucky should be, if there's anybody with a dollar more than you who wants it to be something else, they've already won. Right. And this is not me trying to be partisan. It is the reality of the economic situation in this country, which came about because Republicans wanted this. And the Supreme Court, which was conservative, decided it that money was free speech. We can't have the equal ability to speak if you have more money. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the the money is speech argument and that goes back to you know Buckley Vallejo right so you know there even before Citizens United there were bad precedents in terms of money equaling speech right and uh, Citizens United was like uh, corporations are are people so they should have the same ability to mm-hmm. speak uh, which you know clearly they've got this outsized influence because their megaphones just so so massive and it's it's it is as as Nina said, it's gross. You know, the, the campaign finance system is is fully broken uh, and it is legalized bribery and pay to play is, you know, like that's just the rules. Uh, and it's terribly unfortunate. I think, you know, I personally experienced like so I, I do some policy work and I've done it for environmental groups in Kentucky and I've done it uh, for other perspectives in other states. And, you know, if you aren't part of the game if you aren't making you know if you aren't hiring lobbyists if you aren't making political contributions your ability to truly influence policy at the state level uh is just negligible right you have to do an amazing amount of work to get you know kind of amplified voices and get people engaged and get people to like the state capital to pay attention and even then it's like if if we think about it we've seen examples from time to time where that does work right massive outpourings of of outrage and and public engagement and attention uh you know nema like obviously you know you wouldn't be in this uh in this kind of arena but for some of those efforts we saw with sb 150 similar like massive outpouring but you know some Sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. It's very much like a, a crapshoot, uh, even when you have huge outpouring of public engagement, which doesn't happen because yeah. <laughs> who the hell's got time and energy to watchdog our, uh, you know, our, our our system that closely and go and spend their, you know, spend their free time. Uh, who the hell's got free time, you know, to go hold these guys accountable, right? So it is. It's just a broken system, yeah. and it's you know this just this story. Uh, exposed it very much so you know the fact that dan cameron is shaking down companies that he is his office is investigating is just wrong uh but you know also if somebody doesn't know how to bundle right like campaign bundling is a thing right so we know that if you want to have like more influence you should get a bunch of your rich friends to also make the maximum contribution about the same time and when you hand over that contribution to the candidate like make sure you see it's all together we're here we want to have your attention when we call next time you know and so the the fact that bundling happens is gross it's just part Mm -hmm. of the system but the fact that this republican governor of london doesn't even know how to do it 
right? Like, no, you can't, you can't put them all on the same credit card, you stupid idiot. Uh, you got to get them to make their own contributions. Uh, and then that you better not, you know, have a, a paper trail that shows you've paid them back. Uh, but this guy just doesn't know how to do it. Uh, maybe it's because he's a Republican and he really didn't. He just wanted to get Andy in trouble. I do not know. I do not know the backstory was, of that story. Was that a Republican who was making the donations? Yes. I didn't even know that part of the story. Yes. <laughs> the but Republican me, mayor. <laughs> so I, so what I said, the first thing I said was, hell, who's got $200,000 credit limit on a on a credit card? Like, yeah. well, <laughs> I've never seen that. You can well, buy a, house buy a credit, credit card, card anyway. Right? Yeah, clearly, this is something you plan on paying back immediately because you plan on having the money back in your pocket immediately. Uh, I wonder if it was like in college, whenever you would like your your friend would have a credit card that you all drank on, and then like you you know then you took a little <laughs> bit you know like you were like oh yeah you know yeah it's like a money maker for him maybe I don't know I mean it's, it's this is the craziest story ever. I'm probably going to get myself in trouble with the feds, but when I was in college, I learned. <laughs> If you make a deposit into your bank account on a Friday afternoon when it's closed for the weekend, it would be as if you had real money in the bank. Then you could withdraw money. So I would deposit $30, withdraw 20, spend the 20, wait for my check on Sunday, then deposit the check. And when the check went through, it would all work out in the balance. But somehow I got access to money that I didn't have. I don't know if it was legal. Uh, Let's talk about check kiting. Uh, on our next on our next episode, we're right? going to talk about all sorts money. of shady financial <laughs> transactions. Right? Uh, I'm like, gosh, I don't know. Yeah, when, when I was there. a when I was a high school student at McDonald's, we found a way to trick the system to make our average times go down because they track that stuff. And the the owners of our building and some like. I don't know, McFeds showed up and they like went into an office with me and closed the door. And they said, if you tell us what you've been doing, you won't get in trouble. And I was like, what? And they were like, honestly, we want to learn how you're doing this because do you know that it takes 17 seconds on average from someone ordering a meal from you to someone leaving the store? Um, that doesn't happen in a drive-thru unless they're driving 22 miles an hour. But they done all this numbers. They were like, how are you doing it? You were, so you were cheating very effectively, but maybe a little too effectively. Because uh, we yeah. didn't see the averages. We would just be like, <laughs> we would bring them ketchup packets because they were free. <laughs> and then send really them through the drive-thru and then clear them back out. So I'm thinking with all this discussion about having to have money and all this other stuff, just a side note. Because one of the things I've been watching has been, uh, uh, what is her name? Uh, Gladys, the, the white, white Gladys, who is this orca whale who has been tipping over yachts and all this other stuff. And now she's organized and there's like 16 of them that run in this pack. And so I think I'm team orca. The older I get, the more team orca I am. And I think we should all just become ungovernable and just yeah. like, you know, just be like, ha, 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 we're taking out your ship. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. We've gotten uh, uh, far afield. I think yes. we, have, we have one more story we want to cover. Uh, I've got it queued up. So uh, this is about the kind of massive influx of federal resources that everyone from Mitch McConnell to Andy Bashir agrees is a great thing. Joe Biden, uh, thank you, Uncle Joe, for bringing the dollars. We're going to get over a billion dollars for broadband uh, in Kentucky, which we all know broadband in Kentucky you know, needs help. Uh, and so, and that's been a long-term process, right? So obviously there was a, there was, there's, there's a state broadband office that has been kind of struggling to get a state investment uh, ready to go and making sure that that, that process is in fact functioning. 
but it's you know it it hasn't been absolutely smooth sailing uh, is is for sure. The Office of Broadband Develop Deployment uh, has you know had some setbacks uh, for sure. Uh, the 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 Affordable Connectivity Program I think is a federal program though uh, that uh, that will be kind of in addition to the Kentucky Wired program. Uh, so those two things will be working kind of in conjunction, uh, building out the infrastructure, having the affordable connections for people who need it, which, you know, like everyone needs the Internet, obviously. Like this is it's, it's gone beyond like a, a you know, a, a thing that is is nice to have. And it is now absolutely critical for all parts of our society and commerce. So uh, what we are learning, though, is that uh, that Charles Booker's office of um uh, faith-based initiatives or faith office of faith-based and community initiatives uh, is going to play a role uh, in helping commit connect communities to those uh, resources and to those programs uh, which I think is a really good thing having that kind of navigator role uh, folks in the community understanding kind of what the challenges are and sitting with people to get them you know kind of to to walk through uh, the, the the application process and joining the different programs, because you know, again, a lot of times these these federal programs are available, but they're just not taken advantage of by all the folks who are um, you know who qualify for them. So I think it's really important that we've got that piece of it as well. But this is just one of many uh, many visits. So we had uh, I think today yesterday the Commerce Secretary uh, was uh, in uh, in at Simmons College in Louisville talking about this major investment. I'm pretty sure tomorrow we're going to have Secretary Mayor Pete uh, in Lexington talking about some other major federal infrastructure investments that are happening. Uh, and, you know, I guess I just want to take a second to recognize that these hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that are coming to projects in Kentucky would not have happened, you know, under the the Donald Trump presidency. Right. The guy who made such a big deal about infrastructure. He had infrastructure week on a monthly basis uh, and never got anything done. Uh, but Joe Biden got it done and he had to work with Mitch McConnell to make it happen. Uh, and I'm sorry for Joe Biden, but he did that and he was willing to kind of take one for the team, uh, stood there by the Brent Spence bridge uh, to, you know, celebrate the fact that this is happening right now. Uh, we didn't get a visit, but there are a number of like uh, the secretary of energy and others are like, uh, are they're going through the battery belt and the, uh, these places in the southeast that are going to be doing massive EV manufacturing? Uh, they should have made a stop in Louisville. I guess Louisville got the Commerce Secretary instead. But you know the fact that this massive influx of you know real jobs is happening because of these investments in clean energy and clean transportation. You know the Ford uh, twin battery plants. Uh, I've you know said it before, like. I don't know if you've seen it outside of Louisville. It's it is enormous. It's like the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and you know that's going to be you know thousands and thousands of jobs uh, building the kind of you know the the cars of the future, the batteries that will power the cars of the future. Uh, we are going to have you know twice as many people in the battery manufacturing industry in Kentucky as we will have in the coal mining industry by the time those factories are up and going. Uh, so, you know, but I, I do know this, that the coal industry is not going away and they're not going to give up their political power. Uh, and, you know, the, but the, that clean energy tech doesn't have anywhere close to the political capital in Kentucky. Obviously, you see what's happening. You know, these guys are not going out of their way to encourage people to drive a battery forward. 
right? They're in fact going to put roadblocks in, in the way of EV deployment, which is unfortunate. But, you know, it goes back to that story. Like, who's who's paying to play? Uh, mm-hmm. And the clean energy tax folks don't have the money that the uh, the traditional coal interests do. But what we are seeing is real, uh, real investments in our commonwealth. It's going to mean real jobs. Uh, and it's going to mean that our bridges aren't going to fall apart like, you know, they were doing in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh? No, Philadelphia, right? So yeah. clearly our nation's infrastructure is is desperately in need of this influx. Uh, and it's really exciting that, you know, it's happening right now. But let's not forget why it's happening, right? Uh, and let's not just be thankful that we've got more broadband and that we're going to have more, you know, uh, intact bridges and more bike lanes and more EV charging stations that happen because of decisions that politicians made and they should get the credit for it, I think. So but, yeah, that's that's my take on that story. I love it. Um, and it, what, what it emphasizes to me and what is so important here is that we all remember, I don't think the GOP really stands for anything. It just opposes things. There's no reason to be opposing clean energy, bringing jobs to Kentuckians, right? But of course, they're going to oppose it. There's no reason to be opposing um, so many of the things that they oppose. Uh, and if you look at Andy Bashir's record for the last three years, he has done phenomenal things for the state. Uh, I feel like I can't turn on Facebook without one of my friends standing in front of a giant Andy Bashir check because some companies coming to do X, Y, or Z or some federal money's building a hospital. The truth is if you live in Kentucky and you want your neighborhood to be better, if you want not to spill coffee on yourself because the roads are uh, being paved over with, I don't gravel evidently around here, uh, then voting Democrats the only way that you're going to do that. I mean, he nailed it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Can't yeah. I mean, the tr- that's the truth, right? Like, they're delivering. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Bashir like, got the federal dollars. He's deploying them in a smart way. And, yeah, there's a lot of folks get standing by, by, by big checks. Uh, and, but not well, just yeah. – uh, But also, he's landed – these huge investments, these big corporate investments, like that's not federal dollars. That is like the private dollars. There's yeah, they're, they've been competitive and helping, uh, you know, to kind of make sure these deals uh, because they do have to compete. Right. Other states are, are trying to get these factories as well. Right. Uh, so making sure they've got the prepared area for them to locate in uh, and that the resources are going to be there to connect them to water and fire and whatever. Uh, but, yeah, I think it, he's done an amazing job of landing big investments mm-hmm. and that's going to be real jobs. And, you know, let's just give him the credit that he deserves for sure. Absolutely. And I was just thinking, didn't Tennessee just re- like reject money? I think and it was so Alabama. The- was it out? And then so the federal government then said, well, we'll give it to these people. They'll spend it in your state and do the, the job. So it's like, are we going to have to start circumventing, you know, our own government just to get funds from the federal government? Because these states are like, oh, we don't want that money, you know. Uh, so it's just so weird to me. Like, I don't mm-hmm. get it. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, we do need to move on, though. Uh, our, our, our next uh, next element of the show. Yay. I'm so excited for this interview. The universe has been throwing Lutherans at me for like (laughs) the last month. I did a reading in Indianapolis. uh, It was like the day before the Good Morning America thing. And uh, there were a lot more people than I thought. And then one guy introduced himself and said he was a pastor. And I kind of froze. And then he was like, I'm Lutheran. And I kind of unfroze. Um, So we have tonight the Reverend Dr. Leah Shade, who is an associate professor of preaching 
How cool is that? If there were a Hogwarts in Appalachia, we would definitely have a professorship of preaching. But I just love that. It sounds beautiful. Preaching and worship at Lexington Theological Seminary in Lexington, Kentucky. An ordained Lutheran minister for more than 20 years. She has written six books. And her eco-preacher blog for Patheos explores the intersection of religion, environment, politics, and pop culture. She's also co-founder of the Clergy Emergency League a network of 2,500 pastors throughout the U.S. who provide support and resources for clergy to prophetically minister in their congregations and the public square and resist white Christian nationalism. Everyone, welcome. We're so excited. Uh, Dr. Leah, Reverend Leah. (laughs) Um, So I have the first question for you. Um, and it's really about definition. Um, I think anytime we as Americans try to have any conversation, we fail at it because I'm using the word to mean one thing. Someone else is completely thinking something else. And we never really know what each other is talking about. So your work has been in illuminating what this threat is. So how would you describe it? And is it getting worse? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for the introduction and thank you for the first uh, 40 minutes of the show. It has been so enlightening um, and I'm just thrilled to hear about um, the, 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 the bill um, targeting transgender children and families uh, being uh, pushed back. That, that, is, that fills me with such hope. So Christian nationalism is a fusion of extremist um, uh, fundamentalist Christianity and nationalism and what some people would say is uh actually a form of fascism so another word for it is christo-fascism and what we're seeing is that yes there uh, this has always been part of the american scene Um, those who seek power have always tried to use religion in some form to justify their authoritarian rule. In the United States right now, what we're seeing is that this is no longer a fringe thing. This is something that is front and center. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. They are out in front and they their agenda is absolutely to take over this country with a, a radical right-wing Christian agenda to impose a, a patriarchal um, uh, um, system, a hierarchy that targets anybody who is not white, straight, cis, um, not Christian, um, not male, anybody that does not fit that category is, is considered to be, you know, lower on the food chain and therefore either subservient or um, should be targeted, gotten rid of, killed. Um, they're, they're very violent in their language, they're violent in their actions, and they are, I mean, this is not just um, a movie plot. They are actually seeking world domination. I don't know if any of you have seen any of the series uh, Shiny Happy People on Amazon, um, but it is um, enlightening uh, uh, exactly what their agenda is. It's a documentary about how white Christian nationalism has been 
growing in this country through the homeschool movement and what they call the quiverful movement, like having lots and lots of white Christian children to push back against, um, you know, the Muslims and the Jews and the blacks and the gays and all of that. And uh, I actually have a family member who is part of that. And for decades, we thought, well, this is just some sort of like fringe thing. No, actually, it's not. This is their agenda. Uh, It's very much in line with what um, some, some parallels of what we saw in Nazi Germany and the way Hitler used religion to further his aims and to get the, the population on his side. So, um, yes, it's something that we need to be aware of and to recognize that, uh, according to the Public Religion Research Institute, 30% of Americans are either white Christian um, like they're either on board with it just in terms of ideology or they are violent actors in it. And that filters down through our communities and even progressive churches, even mainline progressive churches have white Christian nationalist leaning folks in congregations. So it's something we need to be aware of and push back against in a, in a much more bold way than we have. Yeah. And you, I think you, what I really like is how you're talking about how even if this is just 30 percent, it's it's affecting the the rest of us, the lenses that we're using to see the world. I think about uh, the South Carolina governor, um, McCaster, saying just last week that he wants Democrats to be so rare that we hunt them like dogs when the majority of the Democratic uh, electorate in that state is black. Um, you would not be able to say that five years ago, 10 years Absolutely. ago. It's it's normalizing this kind of violent language, and I mean they're they're really taking uh, uh, pages out of the playbook from the from the fascist regime in Nazi Germany, where the, the more you use this kind of rhetoric and you normalize it for people, they're getting used to it, and um, it also stokes the emotions of those who. Um, become actors in this and and uh, it's something called stochastic terrorism where you you know the leader doesn't even have to actually do it all they have to do is inspire other people the underlings the minions to go out and do these things and that's what terrorizes a population and it has a chilling effect on democracy so um, yes you're right it has this is on the rise and we need to be much stronger and more courageous. And when I say we, I mean those of us in the Christian church who who claim this faith, we need to be out in front and calling it out for what it is and saying this is not what Christianity is about. It's actually the exact opposite. And we need to uh, denounce that at every turn. Uh, Leah, thank you so much for for joining us this week. This is really kind of eye-opening. You know, I'd heard, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene saying very clearly, uh, I think her quote is, I'm a Christian and I say it proudly and we should be Christian nationalists. Just yes. put it out there, plain as day. Yep. You know, uh, the fact that that uh, Public Religion Research Institute in Brookings uh, poll or survey found that over half of Republicans believe the country should be a strictly Christian nation, uh, either adhering to Christian nationalism or sympathizing with those views. You add that together, over half of Republicans think that's that's where we should go. That yes. that's the you know the holy land. I was you know driving uh, on Richmond Road here in Lexington the other day. Somebody like had this huge flag on their uh, their SUV, uh, and it was an American flag with a cross mm-hmm. on it. 
Yes. Like, you know, this stuff is is not hiding. You know, no. if, you, if you think back, we had the Ku Klux uh, Klu Klux Klan had been distributing flyers a few weeks ago uh, in different neighborhoods in central Kentucky. Uh, we had, you know, a Klan membership badge uh, flashed at an LGBTQ uh, pride rally in Corbin, Kentucky. Uh, are there other like things that you've seen in Kentucky that, you know, you can point to that says, yeah, this is it's happening. It's on the rise. There's more of it out there and we need to be concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Kentucky has been a hotbed for the Ku Klux Klan almost from the very beginning, and um, and and we're seeing more of that. One thing I want your listeners to keep in mind is that when we see these kinds of overt actions and and also the the violent demonstrations by like the Proud Boys and and those other organizations. Remember that part of their goal here is recruitment. So, and they're and they're actually competing against each other, right? There's not just one monolithic Christian nationalist movement. There's a lot of little cells of this, and they're competing for members. So, when they're putting their flyers out there, when they're doing demonstrations on television, when they're um, when they're taking violent actions, they are trying to attract. A certain percentage of the population that is um, that is susceptible to this sort of thing, and 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 so um, it's not by accident that they're doing this. It's, it's very intentional that they are trying to do this kind of work so that they can get more members for themselves. So you know when you think about what are the what are the things like why is this so attractive for people? It gives them a sense of purpose and a sense of belonging. Um, there is this fear of uh, loss of white social status. There is um, a weaponizing of resentment and this desire for power. So when you feel like you don't have power, even if you can put yourself in proximity to that power, that feels good to you. There's also a fear of the loss of patriarchal authority, and that has a lot to do with these bills that we're seeing that target, you know, the um, uh, anti-abortion, anti-trans, anti-anything that would empower um, people to push back on an author patriarchal authoritarian agenda. They want... They, they, they want to get do away with that. They don't want public education. They don't want critical thinkers. They want people brainwashed so that they are um, malleable and, and submissive and will do their bidding. Um, the other thing just to remember is that the, um, the, the right wing fringe of Christianity has always been attracted to conspiracy theories, which has to do with, well, well, when is Jesus coming back? When is the apocalypse? When, you know, and they do all of these secret codes in the Bible and try to figure out when this is. And, and so when you have something like QAnon comes along in a secular way and kind of um, fuses itself onto that, man, it just, it just, it's like putting it on steroids. So they are, and there's also um, an attraction to narcissistic leaders. Um, you see this a lot in these um, fundamentalist churches, these strong leaders who can do whatever they want with people, with their power, and there's absolutely no consequences for them. And so when a, a leader like Trump comes along and does the kinds of things that horrify the rest of us, this doesn't horrify people who are in this religious movement mm. because they see this thing all the time. It feels very familiar to them. Yikes. 
Yeah, yep. This is disturbing. Um, but, so <laughs> I'm not going to sleep tonight now. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell um, you the truth. <laughs> uh, and I appreciate that. So I'm going to go, since we kind of talked about what my question was going to be, I, I'm curious because as you were talking, I could kind of see this, like, like Aaron was saying in Kentucky already. And as I was watching the uh, general assembly this year, I couldn't help but think about after after I watched Shiny Happy People, I think they're already in our government. Um, oh, yes. I think that they are elevating their voices and and get gaining power amongst their caucus. What do you think? What have you seen as far as that goes? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons that they um, seek a uh, a supermajority. It's another. It's also why they their strategy has been to go to the local level they hit i have to admit they have been brilliant in their strategy they've been flying under the radar for decades decades they've been doing this work they've been teaching their young people how to infiltrate school boards and townships and local governments and 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 uh and to and, and then eventually the state houses and then uh, Senate races and House of Representatives. And so absolutely, they've been there. And all of a sudden, we turn around and like, how did that happen? Because they've been working on this for decades. And now here we are behind the eight ball and realizing, yikes, they are they are literally trying to take it over. And when they talked about this, you know, we kind of laughed them off and said, oh, this is just kind of crazy stuff. It's not crazy because they're doing it. And so now we have to play catch up and we have to um, mobilize in terms of voting, education, getting out young people who often can see through this. If they if, if they have any critical thinking skills whatsoever, um, they know for a fact that this is this this targeting of their trans friends it's this this is ridiculous they want nothing to do with this unless they were in the homeschool movement right and had this bubble put around them and they've been taught to think a certain way that that whole group which they again want to send into our government that group believes this but anybody outside of this says this is ridiculous but we don't often engage them in the public square we just let them get away with this and now we've really got to push back and we have to do it courageously and we have to do this together arms locked ready to rock and roll that's awesome awesome yeah that's your yeah thank you so much you've like i said you scared the bejesus out of me but you know it's it's you've got to hear it you know it's happening yeah and and one this is one of the ways in which clergy can reach out to each other, even not just across the denominational lines, but also in, in a multi-faith and interfaith way. So as a, as a Lutheran pastor, I have more in common with my Muslim, Jewish, Sikh, um, um, Hindu uh, fellows who, uh, who see that these are not our values. You know, it, and in this country, one religion doesn't get to dictate Mm -hmm. What happens for everybody else? You know, if you don't, you know, for example, with the abortion issue, and they'll often use biblical verses to justify this. But there are so many different ways to interpret scripture. So you, if this is your decision that, you know, you don't want to have an abortion because you believe the Bible tells you this, that's fine. Then don't have an abortion. But if my reading of scripture tells me something different, that actually I have autonomy over my body and I can make a decision like this, 
then you don't get to make that decision for me. And so um, the, the um, putting women in a second class position, putting anybody who's not Christian, anybody who's um, who, who is uh, considered weak, um, any of that is something that we have got to come together as a community mm -hmm. and say, this is not who we are. This is not democracy. These are not our values. And we've got to try to push back the tide here and say, not here, not on our watch. I particularly like how you sort of frame this as you have more in common uh, with some non-Christian religions than you have with uh, these groups. And what it, it actually makes me think of how women will often fight side by side so ferociously with LGBTQ people. Um, but oftentimes straight men um, are really slow to speak up. You know, in private, they'll say, you know, I'm all for, but, but then they'll sit in a room where people are. And I think, you know, if you're looking at it in terms of privilege, right? Yes. They have the privilege and they get something out of other people putting us down. They get more privilege yes. and authority. What yes. I think is beautiful about you specifically being a voice here is that you do share privilege, right? You're a, you're to some extent, you're a reverend in a Christian church and that, that gives you some authority. And so saying specifically, this is not us. You're saying we will not allow this army to do work that gives us more power. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely, Willie. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that we're, we're trying to encourage our pastors to think about in the Clergy Emergency League, which I helped to co-found after Trump invaded the Episcopal Church, St. John's Episcopal Church in Washington, D.C., and now the Bible upside down and all like, like that's what spurred um, me to start this, um, this movement, is um, to give support to pastors who are in red states, red neighborhoods, who are often isolated, who get pushback from their congregants who say, well, we can't talk about things because that's political. But, you know, if the pastor would start standing up and saying things that actually agreed with their agenda, well, they'd be fine with that, even if it was political. So uh, I think, Nima, you were talking about this earlier, or maybe it was only, I can't remember. It. But, but, you know, we were saying, like, it is good for me, but not for thee, right? It's, mm. it's, it's cherry picking. It is all about my rights, but none of my responsibility and no rights for you. And the, here's, the, here's the problem. They use religion to justify this, this, you know, God made man, the head of the household. And you just keep drilling that into people, drilling that into people. And all the authority is resting in this particular person. I mean, it's an old story. It goes back to um, the Fuhrer. It goes back to uh, the Caesar uh, in, in, in Rome. It goes back to Pharaoh in, in, uh, in Egypt. Like all, like this is not a, a new story. This is not our first rodeo. And we can actually learn from scripture how to fight back, how to resist, how to be non-compliant with empire. Hmm. Like Nima and the whales. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> right? awesome. I, I did not hear that story about Gladys, the white orca. I am going to look that up because environmental issues are also my thing. I'm so excited to hear that story. I love the idea of, you know, earth has agency and so mm -hmm. do our neighbors in creation. And so to see that pushback from nature itself against the elite I'm all for it. Yeah, See, I no, told you guys, it was not off topic. 
It's totally on topic. I love that her name is Gladys, too. Like, it could have been Kaylee, but no, it's Gladys. <laughs> Gladys is a woman who's seen some stuff. She's uh, smoking. She's she got like a cigarette dangling, you know. You're not named Gladys unless you put up with men's crap. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's just the truth. Well or human. You know, I mean, what I'm thinking human. about from this is we, we always study these fascist movements as Here's a thing that went wrong in history. When it appears and I'm listening, it's really a psychological aspect of humanity, right? Yes. Well, I've, I've, I had noticed before there are people who appear not to want to reason morally, so they just sort of give that to someone else. And that's dangerous because they can do horrific things if they give that to a power. And when you were making this point about how they love these authoritative men, it's almost like they take part of their ego, too. Like, I won't be me. I'll be Trump. He's, he's my yes. NASCAR guy. Yes, yes. And I had not thought of it that way. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a projection. Like what, what I can't get for myself, I can see in this um, distortion of what um, manhood or leadership is. And, and I can live vicariously through mm. that. And when I am associated with this movement, when I am fighting for him, I'm really fighting for myself and my ability to do all the things like, you know, incest with my family members and mm -hmm. controlling, um, you know, the, the children and beating my wife and like all of these things, like this justifies what I want to do. It's, it's, I mean, psychologically, it's like mm -hmm. the, the, the id or is it, yeah, it's the id taking over here. Um, but it's also, um, recognizing that, um, when you put a theological lens on this and say that it is God who ordains this, it carries so much weight and uh, for, for some people. And, and so, and that's very hard to push back, especially from those of us who preach a God of love and forgiveness and grace and mercy, that's considered weak. And so you never hear Christian nationalists talking about the teachings of Jesus that mm. have to do with caring for the least of these, the vulnerable. You don't hear that. They want to talk about, you know, the, the, the God of, um, you know, uh, the, the, the warrior God who's going to fight for them on their behalf. So we've got two competing narrative, two stories that are going on here. And, and this is why preachers really need to get support for, from each other to push back on this and also because we're seeing more attacks on houses of worship and clergy themselves who are being doxxed and trolled and and physically attacked or their congregations attacked hmm. wow wow well thank you so much yeah. uh uh, Leah, really appreciate your time. And if folks didn't know, Leah's been on the show before. Uh, it's been a minute. Uh, I think it might have even been when we were when we were the Moscow Mitch Monday. I think potentially. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, thanks so much for coming back on and sharing your views and sharing that information. And uh, we'll share links to the Climate uh, Clergy Emergency League uh, in the show notes, so people can find find out about that there. Uh, and then also to your Eco Preacher uh, blog as well, so people can find. Uh, some of your blog posts. Uh, but yeah, thanks so much for alerting us to this presence uh, of this this threat that's growing and what we can do to push back on it. Thanks, yes. Aaron. Thanks, Willie. Thanks, Thank Eva. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you, yep. Thank you uh, Reverend Doctor, for your call to action. And y'all, here is my call to action. We need you. Um, do you remember just 
10 years ago when people weren't at each other's throats like they are now? Do you remember just a few years ago when Baptists could still be Baptists and do whatever they want to do and Pentecostals could do whatever they want to do, but other people were free as well? Um, we can have that again, but it's going to take us working together. We need you to help ensure four more years of compassionate commonwealth, of the dignity of Andy Bashir. Give us your views and work with us. And we mean this literally. Reach out, say hi, ask how you can help, uh, ask how we can help, and expand your support for Andy and our great slate of statewide candidates. You can fill out our survey, which you can see now and is also on our site. Nice. Uh, yeah, take the survey. Willie, have you taken the survey yet? Uh, I don't know. He's <laughs> not taking it, Aaron, and I haven't either. I, Aaron, I have 45 <laughs> emails marked do this uh, in, a, in a folder called do this. All right. Uh, well, it'll be, it's pretty quick. So take the survey. Uh, all right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Willie, for hosting tonight. Thank you, Nima, for co-hosting. Always appreciate your your your. Uh, hilarious perspective, informative, engaging, challenging. Uh, thank you so much, Reverend Dr. Leah Shade, uh, for your uh, for your amazing information, important information. Uh, so as I close this out, Progress Kentucky is a nonprofit organization registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State. Uh, we are uh, organized as a 501c4 uh, and affiliated with the Indivisible Project the Commonwealth Alliance Voter Engagement, or CAVE, and are also proud members of the Forward Kentucky Network. Uh, Progress Kentucky's goal is to educate, organize, increase voter turnout, and advance a progressive agenda through civic engagement. Uh, make sure to join us next week when we will have a guest, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, uh, production of episode 119 was kind of by me. Uh, thank you, Nate, for the theme songs. You can find more information and music at natosongs.com. If you miss our weekly live stream on Facebook, don't worry. You can rewatch shows on Facebook and you can also find our source links. You can also watch us on YouTube. You can also listen to our audio podcasts. Those are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you do listen to the podcast, which is a pretty popular way of getting this information, please give us a review. Uh, give us the stars, hopefully all five of them, and then write a review for the show. That helps make sure that the AI algorithm shares our show, show with more folks who care about uh, progressive politics in Kentucky. Uh, so we very much appreciate that. We got to build a bigger megaphone. We're not going to be buying politicians anytime soon. Uh, so we got to do our organizing the old fashioned way, sharing the information one to one to one. Uh, all right. So that link for it to happen. And I just filled it out there and it was that fast people. <laughs> <laughs> so easy. We made it so easy. Uh, our logo and some graphic content provided by Couchfire Media. Uh, more information can be found at couchfiremedia.com. Uh, and that is it. That's the show. Thank you so much for uh, sticking with us this fine week. Have a great week, folks. <laughs>